The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for two forty nine dollars a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Get ready, Ohio. FanDuel, America's number one sports book, is coming to the Buckeye State. And to kick things off, you can get started with $100 in free bets as an early sign-up bonus. Plus, when you sign up today with promo code OHIOFD, you'll be all set when FanDuel goes live in Ohio. Then you can bet on all your favorite teams in all your favorite sports with $100 in free bets. Just download FanDuel's top-rated sportsbook app. It's safe, secure, and super easy to use. Ohio, this is your chance to get in on the action. Join today with promo code OHIOFD. Make every moment more with FanDuel, official sportsbook partner of the NFL. 21 or older and present in Ohio. Bonus issued in non-withdrawable free bets that expire seven days after FanDuel accepts its first real money sports wager in Ohio, 1123. Unique user identity verification required. Offer ends on the go-live date. Restrictions apply. See terms at sportsbook.fanduel.com. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Nobody builds 5G like Verizon builds 5G. Because we're the engineers who built the most reliable network in America. And the more you do with 5G, the more building it right matters. The more your network matters. The more Verizon engineers going the extra mile matters. It's us pushing us. It's Verizon versus Verizon. 5G built right from America's most reliable network. Most reliable based on rankings from RootMetric's second half 2020 U.S. report of three mobile networks. Results may vary. Award is not an endorsement. Do your part to reduce waste and recycle right. Many of us are ordering more items, such as food and other goods, delivered to our homes. More packages means more waste. Consolidate smaller orders into one larger order to reduce waste. When shopping in person, bring a reusable bag. Recycle right by keeping plastic bags, foam containers, rechargeable batteries, and garden hoses out of your recycling bin. Learn more at GoRecycle.org. Brought to you by Prince William County, District of Columbia, and American Disposal Services. It's another film study. It feels like it's been a little bit since we've done the podcast. There is a video out. You can go over to filmstudybaltimore.com and check that out. But it's been a 
probably a week for a podcast. Ken McCusick, how you doing? Life's good, Josh. How about you? I am good. We haven't had the lockdown down here yet in Florida. How are things with you up in Maryland? You know, it's it's not that big a change for me because I work from home anyway, but I'll tell you the one change is when we walk the dogs in the neighborhood. Normally, we're extremely friendly with each other's dogs. We know each other's dogs. You know them by name. Oftentimes, you don't know the owner's name, but you know, oh, that's Chuck. And you go over and you pet Chuck and you give him a, you know, a big hug and whatnot. But the owners don't want you to do that anymore because that's you know, not social distancing there. You're touching their dog, then they're going to touch their dog, et cetera. So uh, you got to be more careful about that kind of thing. So that's a little weird. Uh, you know, we're missing restaurants, missing travel. We, we, you know, we'd have been at the NCAA tournament by now, but uh, uh, bummer, uh, certainly. But uh, hopefully we get through this. All right. How about you guys? Uh, Florida, I'm still working. I'm essential. Kind of, it's silly that I'm essential, but I'm listed as essential, so I'm still working. And uh, family, I already one of my daughters was already doing virtual school. Now all three are doing virtual school, so we're getting by. And our guest tonight, let's bring him into this so we can get his story on how life's going for him, is Michael Crawford. Michael, how's everything for you in this weird time? Uh, kind of like Ken, the work from home part isn't that different for me because I was doing that three to four days a week anyway. Um, like you though, Josh, the biggest difference is having the kids at home uh, all the time, all day. And my kids weren't doing virtual school. Uh, now they are, obviously everybody is. And uh, I'm having to juggle the work from home stuff, be a teacher, uh, be a referee. Uh, I have a 13 year old, eight year old son and daughter. <laughs> so there's a little bit of everything going on right now. Wow. Yeah, my work has changed because it's more Zoom conferences where I'm hiding in the closet away from the kids. <laughs> that part is true for me, too, that uh, we have an office here. Like our spare bedroom is basically an office, but my wife is working from home, too. So she has the designated office space, and I am basically like a nomad in the desert with my laptop huh. trying to find a quiet spot to do meetings and conference calls wherever I can around the house. Wow. Okay, that's tough. And I, everything I, I keep reading in the Wall Street Journal are horror stories about people who aren't used to dealing with their kids and now have to, have to make basically try and set a schedule and make them try and be work. And they look forward to this, to being a teacher for a while, getting a break, you know. And I, I'm getting the, the sense that that's not a break of, of any sort for you. <laughs> no, no, it, it hasn't been. It hasn't been. And I don't want to paint the picture like it's this terrible thing because it's not. Um, you know, I'm getting exposure to a lot of the stuff that they were doing, um, you know, in terms of applications and computer based learning in school. I just wasn't we, we weren't doing that stuff at home. So that's kind of cool to get exposure to that kind of stuff. And then just to do some kind of non-traditional stuff for like science or social studies. We're getting outside in the house, of course, I mean, in, in our backyard, of course. But, you know, kind of kind of going out in the backyard and, and doing some observations and stuff. So it's fun, too. I mean, I want to make it sound like it's all all doom and gloom because it's not. But it is a juggling act. And, uh, you know, everybody's juggling stuff right now. And there's certainly people that have it worse than me. So I don't want to come off like I'm complaining. Right. No, it's it. All three of us have it pretty light compared to what's going on uh, outside the doors. The fact that we're able to still work and all that as yep. pretty much normal is is something to be thankful for. Very thankful indeed. Um, yep. All right. So the Ravens are also working, and I'm sure they're doing a bunch of conference calls and Skype meetings and all of the same type of thing as they make their decisions. And that's what we're getting together tonight to talk about, to talk about the acquisition of Derek Wolf that happened last week, I believe. 
Yeah, so they, they announced the signing on, what was it, on Friday or Saturday? One of those two, I think. And, yeah. uh, and uh, he since has passed his physical. That's now official. So that's, that's the part that Michael Brockers couldn't get by. There was some question about the physical. Uh, and and they could not reconcile it or try and come to terms on a new deal. Brockers signed effectively a very similar deal with the Rams uh, to go back there. Uh, and so now for the second time in three years, the Ravens have lost a player to the physical. What's the, what's the first name of that receiver from Washington that the Ravens lost? Grant? Ryan. Ryan Grant. Ryan Grant, yep. All right. I remember him. He, it, it, he always stands out in my mind. And this is just like a, a a personal like bummer for me because in a similar situation when they announced that they had signed him, um, I think you and I maybe kind of do a similar thing on this. You start uh, looking up information on the player. Me, I like to dig into the film, so I'm watching all of this film. Like I think I watched all of his snaps from the previous season, and then of course the whole deal fell through, and I'm like, oh man. So his name always and and almost a similar thing happened to me with Brockers. I probably watched like five games of Brockers, so I didn't learn. Uh, I didn't learn from my previous mistake. Well, that's that's a shame, but honestly, Grant, since then has had only 348 receiving yards and 5.7 yards per target. So Ravens, frankly, very lucky they they worked their way out of that deal uh, or that the physical did not work out, I guess I should say, um, in terms of that. Is it really very fortunate. He's played with two teams since and, and really not been successful either place. Yeah, yeah, no, that 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 turned out probably as well as, uh, as, well as could be expected from the Ravens' standpoint. Um and with Brockers, you know, who knows? We'll see. We'll see. Maybe maybe that ankle uh, is is going to be a bigger problem. Maybe it won't. You know, we don't know. But it was interesting. I got a chance to be on a um, a conference call that the team did with uh, Calais Campbell, and he talked about just how you know the, the the whole process is so different right now with physicals because uh, he said he was actually out in Arizona when he got the news that he was traded. And he had to go to the Mayo Clinic, the like local Mayo Clinic in Arizona to get his physical done. And then they have to send the MRI to the Ravens team doctors, right, to look at it. And so he said just the whole process is just different. And his actually, you know, everything, you know, clearly worked out. We heard he didn't have any issues passing his physical, but just um, how information is flowing right now um, is just a different process. So, you know, you can understand why if something popped uh, in 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 Brocker's physical, why they were cautious and wanted to try to mitigate that with you know contractual adjustment and and it's just you know it's unfortunate, but to me it was just like you know rational actors in a market, right? Both people were trying to do what right. was in their best self interest, and they just couldn't come to a happy middle, and and so they they parted. You know, just that's the way it goes. I, I agree. I think that's the way it it really had to be there. I I don't want the Ravens to get the reputation as a team that backs out on deals. And, you know, it almost would have been better since the Ravens don't have a whole lot of stake in it, him playing in Indianapolis and Oakland, not in Pittsburgh, say, if Ryan Grant had played very well during the period, it would have almost been better if the Ravens had regretted not giving him the contract. Yeah. You know, and the, and then the, at least it wouldn't have been a case where the Ravens benefited from not doing it. But anyway, it, it being what it is, uh, Wolf comes a lot cheaper than Brockers did, probably not with all of the versatility to play anywhere along the line. Um, you know, Wolf has played other places around the line. We're going to talk a little bit about that, but he definitely comes at a much smaller price tag. Three million incentives up to six, a one-year deal. This is much more in line with the sort of free agent signing I was still expecting to occur prior to Brockers, 
meaning that it would be a couple of short-term deals, one, two years, but nothing that was going to extend to three, four, five years and really be a big major signing that would force the Ravens to borrow from the future cap in any kind of significant way. No, no. And I, I know that there was some concern about the terms of that Brockers deal uh, when it was reported. I think, you know, from from just some of the stuff that I was seeing on Twitter, people were a little concerned about the size of that contract and how it affected, you know, the cap and, and what they were going to have uh, left over in terms of any other free agency moves they might make, signing the draft class, money you need going into the season, you know, all of those things. Um, so, you know, in, in, in this respect, in the contractual respect, uh, it certainly kind of works out a little more favorable for them. And even though the players are different, and I know we're going to we're going to talk about that and kind of unpack all of that. Um, I still think they get a, a player that's a good fit for how they want to play with with Wolf. Right. I, I agree. I think there's a lot of things about Wolf that are, that are good. Uh, Wolf comes to comes to the table. He's though he's much more natural five tech. He's played a lot of three in Denver. And by the way. I really question whether you can even be a five tech in this league anymore and be just a five tech. There just aren't enough five tech snaps to go around with reductions in base defense. And then maybe a couple teams that still play enough base that that can work. But most teams, they don't play enough base. And in the, the Ravens in particular uh, have played only 10.6% base last year. You can add another 8.5% jumbo nickel to that. And that's still less than 20% of the snaps that you really need a five tech. Yeah. And that, that, that's a very good point. Um, I know that's something that you had uh, kind of shared in, in, in kind of the notes preparing for this that I hadn't thought about just you, there, there was a time when you could talk about a guy, a defensive lineman and, and say, look, that's who he's going to be in our defense and our base defense. He's going to be the five tech. Right. But to your point with, the significant reduction of base defense snaps um, across the league and, and with the Ravens in particular, you really can't just have a guy who, who that's all he can do. You know, he's, he's really got to be able to do some other things because he's probably going to be doing more of those other things. And he's going to be playing five tech in the base defense. So uh, that's a good thing about Wolf uh, to, as you mentioned that he did kind of, kind of move inside uh, quite a bit with Denver uh, in the games that I watched, played some three tech, which is outside shoulder of the guard. I'll, I'll try to explain some of this stuff. I get too jargony sometimes. I have to always remind myself of that. Uh, two technique would be head up on a guard, uh, a two eye, the eyes like an inside shade. So you're talking about the inside shoulder of the guard. And he did a little bit of that, not as much, mostly head up on the guard to three technique. So, um, you know, he's got a little bit of versatility in terms of alignment and uh, just just has a, a different skill set than Brockers, um, but I'll hold on that because I know we want to we kind of want to talk through this, and I, that'll come up, I'm sure. Right, Brockers is the natural bigger body, and at 285, Wolf is frankly a little bit smallish to be playing in that three tech spot where he's he's getting uh, potentially blocked by two linemen, as opposed to being on the outside shoulder of the tackle where he's got a better chance against just one guy at 285. Uh, but but he did. Uh, you know, you look at PFF or other places, he's, he's playing a very high percentage of his snaps in that three tech spot. It matters less on a passing down. I think where you may be actually trying to scheme to get him blocked by two guys. We want to talk about that in terms of what he brings to the stunt game a little bit, but, uh, but let's start it off free form. And why don't we just do what we've done in the past, Michael? Cause I think this has been successful. Let's talk about 
bring up one point you think uh, you know you've observed in film, or you think he brings to the Ravens, or however you want to do it. But one point at a time, we'll try and respond to each other and then move on. Okay, um, I'll start in a run game because uh, I, I think it's kind of just a, a natural way to kind of break it up: run versus pass. In the run game, what I saw um, in the three uh, three and a half, I, I didn't quite get through that fourth game that I was watching uh, from the 2019 season. Um, you re- for me, I, I really had to make the distinction between run concepts, so like zone runs as opposed to gap scheme runs. So on gap scheme runs where he could potentially face a double team, primarily those vertical double teams where two guys are coming right at you, you know, that taking those on, that was not necessarily his strength. Uh, because as you mentioned, he's a little bit of a lighter guy. I think when you look at him physically, just the way his, his body is, is, is sort of built, he's a little high cut. So his legs are a little leaner, uh, a little more lean than, than he is up top. And so you don't see that that ability to really kind of drop the anchor and, and kind of hold the point versus that vertical double team. But when you look at those zone runs, I think one thing, and you can even go back to his combine numbers in 2012, but it shows up in film too, just, just watching him play. Any kind of lateral blocking scheme, he's, he's much better against that, right? His lateral right. movement ability, I think, is really a strength of his game. And if you're going to try to reach block him, uh, on his own run comp set, he's pretty difficult to reach. And so I think he does a really good job of kind of making that run stretch horizontally and allowing a linebacker or a safety to come downhill or feel uh, to, to fill the alley or a gap and also forcing the running back to continue to bubble out towards the sideline. So I think that's really where you have an, have an advantage uh, in the run game with him as opposed to, say, maybe Pierce, even Williams, when they were at three technique, because mm-hmm. they're going to be much better anchoring against vertical double teams or even a combo that, you know, cause obviously in, in zone, you, you see combo blocks. Um, and, and, you know, it's not that Wolf can't handle those, but I think he handles them differently. He's not going to sit down and kind of drop that knee and corkscrew that knee into the ground to anchor. He's going to try to really attack one of those guys, then turn his shoulders and get skinny to kind of reduce the surface area. So the second guy doesn't have as much surface area to contact and really bang him and knock him onto that other guy. He really wants that other guy not to be able to stay on him for very long. Or the other thing, I, the other way I've seen him play it is he'll just try to grab both of those guys and create and, and, and sort of keep yes. either one of them from being able to climb up to the second level. So he does it more with technique in terms of how he takes on double teams as opposed to just like functional strength and power. Uh, but he has a way to, to sort of be effective, but definitely against zone concepts. He's he's better, uh, in my opinion, in terms of defending the, defending those run concepts. Okay, just a lot to respond to there, a ton to unpack. But I want to respond to two things. First of all, it, it, it's natural as a very long player at six five that he's going to be better against zone because he's going to be able to better manipulate those shoulders. And even though part of you know zone concept blocking is to keep that guy opposite you on your left shoulder if you're if you're zone blocking to the right, say an offensive lineman, you know, a guy who can outreach you, particularly when he's using just one arm can, can be more fun, functionally able to disrupt that, get into the backfield, create that bubble that, 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 that makes it difficult for the running back. And he actually actually take a more circuitous route, which is exactly what he's looking to do. The other thing you mentioned at the end, I really want to respond to, because that's something I noticed is he's, he's been penalized four times in the last three seasons for defensive holding. And those plays are occurring where he's grabbing two linemen. And most of the time in the NFL, 
those penalties are not called. Casey Hampton did it all the freaking time. And he was called for it more than probably anybody. He still got away with 90-plus percent of them for years. And, and it, it was a, he's a player who, uh, you know, the Ravens can use a little bit of gamesmanship, I think, on that line to keep linebackers free, maybe keep a safety free. You know, it may be that the dime defense is on the field and they really need or, or a or a three, three, five nickel. And they really need to create an opportunity for safety to make a tackle. That's a great guy to have in there to keep your safety from getting covered up, like, you know, blocking out the sun effectively uh, with an offensive lineman on a safety. Yeah, I mean, you're you're right. You you can see it on almost every play, right? I mean, offensive uh, offensive linemen and and people who watch the offense talk about you could call offensive holding on every play. You yeah. probably call defensive holding on a lot of plays too. Yeah. Uh, but like you said, they don't call it. And and most guys, you know, find a way to to get away with it. Campbell does that quite a bit too. Some uh, this is a little bit of an aside, but I notice. Uh, and we'll we'll probably get into this when we talk about the passing game and and stunts and twists. Campbell loves to hold guys on stunts and twists. When he's the inside penetrator, he'll just grab that guy so that he can't come off and pick up the looper, <laughs> but he doesn't get called for it. So, um, you know, hey, do do whatever you got to do. But um, I, I think that's a little bit of veteran savvy that you have for these guys who, you know, are a little bit older in age uh, uh, in terms of, you know, maybe what they've had on the defensive line in years past. But with with that age comes that savvy, and you you know how to – like you said, a little gamesmanship, sort of how to how to work some of those moves uh, where refs are going to call them. It's not necessarily that they can't see them, but I think these guys know where to position their hands so they know the ref's not going to call it as long as they keep their hands there. Um, and so that that just comes with experience, you know. They, they understand the angles. They also understand that that a referee can't call that every play. So if, right. he's, if he does it, like Richard Sherman, you know, will, will come directly to the referee. You're not going to call that every time. <laughs> you, you call me for that once. You're not going to call it every time. Exactly, exactly. No. Uh, let me pick another topic and we getting get kind of feedback on your end. I'm getting a little bit here on my end. I'm wondering what that's coming from. All right. We'll keep going. If I hear it again, we'll, we'll, uh, might've been we'll, me, but, uh, yeah, yeah I'll listen. To sound, sound is good. Okay. Very good. Um, let's get back to the three tech, five tech thing for a moment. Cause I think it's worth discussing a little bit more. Uh, it, it certainly is a less of a big deal on passing downs to have him at the three tech. And I think on stunts, there is more he can do for you out of that three-tech spot. Now, I went back and looked at all of his quarterback hits in 2019 to just see how were those kind of evolving. I want to get into that a little bit later. But I I think, you know, if he's going to play on a passing down, it's typically going to be with a four-man front. I'm not talking about necessarily with the Ravens, but what he did with Denver. It's it's typically going to be with a four-man front, a one-tech, a three-tech, which would have been him. And then a uh, two outside guys, including Miller. And it was interesting that Von Miller credited him with some huge number of sacks, like 20, I want to say, for, uh, uh, you know, that he stole from Wolf over the years. And I guess that was a a matter of him being the underneath guy on stunts. And I know that Miller very much likes to be the looper on stunts. He likes to be the speed guy. Wolf is perfectly built with the length and the ability to disrupt quickly with with a you know that a telephone pole shoulder the way Campbell can as well to try and be the under guy and then create that opportunity for himself even after the looper has peeled off one of those two blockers. Yeah, I saw that Bob Miller comment and it immediately made me think of this clip that I tweeted from the Indianapolis game where it was just the stunt that you're describing where Wolf was the underneath guy. And so he starts out 
at three technique. So he's on the outside shoulder of that guard. What I really liked about the technique was, you know, sometimes those underneath guys go a little too quick and they don't really sell that they're rushing the guard. You really have to sell the guard that you're rushing him, right? If you don't, then Mm -hmm. then almost immediately he's going to look to his left or to his right and know that something else is coming his way. Yes. So Wolf did a really good job of not just taking steps towards the guy, but actually engaging him with his hands, getting two hands into his chest plate and then immediately snatching his hands away and turning his shoulders to pick the right tackle. And Vaughn just comes looping underneath. It was an underneath loop this time to the inside and comes screaming inside wide open to the quarterback. Um, this was Jacoby Brissett. Jacoby Brissett, not known as the, the, the fleetest of foot guy, but somehow was able to avoid um, Vaughn and Wolf, who would come off after creating that pick and, and complete the pass. But the point remains that he created just huge lane for Vaughn uh, to basically be unblocked to the quarterback. And so I've got to imagine, even though that play didn't end in a sack, that there were probably a lot of other plays over the years that did end in sacks, uh, you know, in that situation. So yeah, to to your point, uh, he's he's somebody who's very good uh, in, in that part of the game and was used that way a lot. And again, lateral movement, right? I, I talked about that before, about that really being a strength of his game. You You really have to have that ability to be – as effective as you can be on those kind of games. I mean, you can you can use bigger guys who maybe don't quite have that same lateral movement and still have some effectiveness, but it's slower. It takes longer for that game to develop. And, you know, again, sometimes this isn't necessarily about size, but just back to that point of having to make sure you really sell that lineman, that opposing offensive lineman, that you're rushing him before you make the move to try to pick the adjacent guy and free up, free up the looper. Because if you don't, you know, NFL guys, you know, obviously see these things, talk about these things, and they're looking for it. And if you give them any kind of indication that it's coming, uh, they can prepare for it much better. Yeah, I, it's uh, it's certainly true. We saw, you know, certainly Ravens offensive line, and I noticed that as well. And it, Bozeman, one of his evolutions over the year was was being a little more savvy and recognizing stunts, not take not carrying them all the way to Stanley, but just carrying them to his left to hand them off. Uh, that, that Indianapolis game you mentioned, two two really big plays in that game. If I'm looking at Week Eight, correct? Mm-hmm, that, correct. That the one? So Q4, 12:30, he had the he had a sack minus six. Is a fast underneath stunt, kind of classic. What you hope to do as a uh, underneath stunting guy, you hope to get half a block from two people, and then that not to be nearly enough once the looper peels him off. If you want to take a look at that one, Michael, you can when 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 uh, you did or you probably already have. Got and it in my notes. <laughs> Q, at, at Q4 753, he had some sort of very slow developing cleanup sack, and he does have a lot of cleanup. Uh, Sacks and quarterback hits, which is fine, by the way, because the Ravens create those kind of opportunities with a constant kind of harassing pressure and the um, good secondary to hold off on this. But I think there's there's, there's some value to what he can get. But that also, uh, what had happened at the start of that play? Now, he was just handled well by the right tackle to start that play. It's at Q4753, so it looks like it was a one-on-one block. And then it just took him time to disengage, but there was time in the end. And it looks like he stripped the football. At least that's the way I've got it here. So um, uh, very slow developing. Yeah, I, I, I've got a bunch of notes on that game. I think I've got just as I'm, I'm looking at them because I just happen to have them right here. Uh, I have him like five 
different kind of twist games uh, in, in that game, either TE, uh, sorry, tackle in twist, or the one that you mentioned where he got the sack. That was a tackle, tackle twist to in, interior guys. Uh, and then that, that forced fumble play. Um, and I was noting that. I think I even tweeted that one out too because he didn't really do anything, you know, particularly special in terms of rush. He's kind of C-gap contained rusher around the tackle and not really a whole lot going on. But, but he didn't stop. Yeah, yeah, he didn't stop. He didn't stop. It's effort. You know, that's exactly what I have in my notes. I have plus effort, plus motor, where he's still engaged. He's still got his eyes on the quarterback. And as soon as Brissett tries to sort of scramble up and, and leave the pocket, he's able to strip that ball out. So um, those are game-changing plays. Um, I think the Colts went on to kick like a last-second field goal and win that game, but it was a close game. Uh, and and those plays can go either way. So just, you know, the more guys that you can have on your team who play with that kind of effort, who play with that kind of motor, they're going to make those plays for you. And, and you're going to probably come out um, on the, the, the positive side of those plays more more than the negative side in games. OK, now from your discussions and from what you watch in three and a half games, you've watched a lot more Wolf tape than I did. I had to get specialized because I was under a time constraint for another another thing I was doing. But um, that. What I saw in the in the in the plays that I looked at was not a player who was exceptionally violent with his hands. I think he uses his length very well. I think he has some ability to twist an opponent with with his with his uh, hands, but I don't see the kind of the McPhee constant punch, 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 uh, or the violent rip move from Campbell that you see with his arms just being you know like a uh, you know large logs being applied to the to the other linemen did you notice anything different you, you obviously looked at a lot more film than i did no that that's actually that that's the point that i have in my notes too particularly um that that you know sort of snatching away right trying to shed trying to disengage from a blocker and what i wrote down it's, it's kind of a strained analogy but it just was what popped into my mind uh if you're into like wildlife at all uh when i saw it i was like think about like an alligator right so like when an alligator bites down and, and closes its mouth, it's got, you know, this this huge amount of, of pressure, right? Pounds of pressure that it can generate by closing its mouth. But yet you can go around its mouth with a couple of rolls of electrical tape and it can't open its mouth. So <laughs> he's got this really sort of strong push, like his initial strike and sort of knockback. You'll see guys go back. I think I tweeted a clip from the 20s uh, from the Tennessee game, uh, their right guard, Nate Davis where he struck him yes. and literally lift both feet off the ground. Uh, so I think he's got sort of that pressing sort of bench press action kind of pop to his hands. But then if the offensive lineman is able to engage him, he Wolf is probably not as good at sort of disengaging and shedding from that violently and quickly. He can get off and he will get off, but it's not as quick and it's not as sudden as maybe you see with other guys. But that initial strike, that bench press strike, yeah, he, he can definitely generate some force and jolt guys back when he does that. All right. You want to t- take another point here? Yeah, sure. We can. Um, I mean, I, I guess we touched on this a little bit, but um, we can talk about the pass game. Oh, before I do that, one one other thing I should add about the running game. So I think when I talked about him being better against zone run concepts, I really like that fit in particular when you look around the division, right? When you look at the AFC North. You look at the Bengals, you look at Zach Taylor, kind of from that McVay tree, a lot of outside wide zone runs. Uh, so you expect to see that a lot with Joe Mixon. If you look at Kevin Stefanski coming to the Browns, 
um, you know, learned under Gary Kubiak. Obviously, Ravens fans know about Gary Kubiak and how much he likes the zone run game, the stretch zone run game. So you expect to see some of that from the Browns. And, of course, the Steelers do a little bit of everything, a little bit of zone, a little bit of gap. So I think that it, to have a guy um, on the defensive line at that that three technique sort of two technique position, two technique position who who plays better uh, in my opinion, against those zone concepts and gap, it's probably a good thing if you think you're going to see a bunch of that. Um, so on the flip side, I'd, I'd be surprised if uh, I wouldn't be surprised, actually, if those teams used more gap schemes, particularly if you see a play like duo, right, where you get the two double teams on both sides of the line. Mm-hmm. I would not be surprised if you start to see more of those concepts uh, from teams, particularly at um, at Wolf. Uh, but on passing game real quick, because I know I went long on the run stuff there <laughs> real quick. Um very good. We talked about him in the twist game and the stunt game. Very good there. In terms of an individual pass rusher, right, where he just gets one-on-one pass rush opportunities, um, you know, not super explosive, you know, not somebody who's just going to come flying off the ball and just, you know, like beat a guy with a quick move right off the line. Um, something I noticed, you, and you really have to slow it down to see this. You have to put it kind of in slow motion. He's got a little bit of a, of a false step with his left foot. So if you're watching him from behind, you look at his left foot, he'll pick it up, put it straight back down, doesn't gain any ground, right? Mm-hmm. And, then, and then from that move, he'll launch into kind of this hop skip. It's not like, a, it's not like two steps. You know, most time you'll see a lineman, they'll take one or two steps and then engage the offensive. He kind of hops into it, like skips into the <laughs> offensive lineman. And it, it concerned me a little bit because I'm like, man, if you go up against a guy – who really has studied you and really can get a good feel for, for how to time that. And he wants to jump set you or quick set you. He can literally hit you in the chest while both of your feet are in the air because you're skipping. Yeah. Now I didn't see that a lot though. I think one thing that I like about that, cause I'm kind of painting that as a negative, but what I like about it is it's his own style, right? It's like we used to say about Marshall Yanda. You can't do a lot of the things that Yanda did. Like other players couldn't do it. You can't teach them to do some of the things that he did. So even though I don't think that you would teach another defensive lineman, to rush that way, Wolf has done it since 2012 and has been pretty effective. I think he's got like 60-something pressures over his career, uh, maybe more than that. Actually, I might be thinking about just one year. Um, but he's been pretty effective with it. So I'm always in favor of guys who kind of take something and make it their own, even though it's unconventional and, and can expose you you know, to some risk maybe sometimes. I'm just a big fan of guys who kind of create their own individual play style. Yeah, I'm, I'd be happy with that. I'm, I'm also happy it's a one-year deal. Given that, I mean, there's a lot of reasons I'm happy why this is a one-year deal, frankly. But there's an enormous burden has been placed on the Ravens out of this. Before before I get into that, though, I want to want to see anything else about the pass rush game you want to talk about that's maybe specific a specific point before we talk about some roster components of this. No, no, I think I think I touched on on all the stuff I had in my notes. All right. Well, right now, you know, I would have said that the Ravens were fairly level in terms of their draft strategy between a lot of positions, uh, or I did before the signing of Wolf anyway. But the signing of Wolf has kind of changed things in a way that I think is it almost forces the Ravens to, to use one of their first three picks on an interior defensive alignment. They've got three guys now in Williams, Wolf, and Campbell. None of them is signed beyond 2021. Good chance all of them live through their contracts. And by the way, for all you people who have been you know, knocking Brandon Williams for all these years, he's about to finish nine years with the Ravens. Eight this year and then a ninth in 2021. Looks, it looks like it's going to happen because I think that that year is going to be pretty cheap for who Brandon Williams is. He's going to be in the ring of honor. 
Mm-hmm. I mean, he's 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 been a, a good player for a very long time. He's made one Pro Bowl so far. He very well could make another. And, you know, it's it's time to stop beating on the guy and thinking about what he can't do and realize just how screwed this defense is when he's not on the field. Yeah, you, you might see. You talked about he could very well make another Pro Bowl. You might see that this year because I think – Back um, in nose. Yep, exactly. I think that's another thing that both of these moves – uh, sort of allow to happen. Campbell and Wolf, you allow him, you allow Williams to move back to nose tackle and play that more often. Now, that doesn't mean that they won't still play him at three technique from time to time because that seems to just be how they play their line. They like to move guys around. But I think they want to get him back at his natural nose tackle position more often than not. And I think if you can get him on a center and if you can do some things with Campbell or with Wolf. Uh, to occupy the guard on either side where that guard can't come and help Brandon Williams, I think he's going to be able to get a lot of things done against most of the centers that he goes up against. So uh, whether that's in the run game or if they they continue to leave him in on passing downs, which I know is not something they do a ton, but you know uh, on occasion he's he's still in there and passing downs, and, and maybe he can become more effective that way when he's in on passing downs when he can just really one-on-one with a center and not have to worry about a guard coming over to help. So I think he could really be primed for a good year. Of course, assuming health, that's always going to be, you know, the first assumption you have to make, but assuming health, um, I think, you know, he's positioned to have some guys on either side of him that allow him to play his natural position and also free him up to maybe not see as many double teams or get help from guards. Yeah. We got, we got a little preview of that last year with the race car um, dime that they were playing that they had four outside linebackers, him, no inside linebackers and a six man secondary, but he was playing right over the nose for a lot of snaps. And it's, let me give you the total snap number because they played more race car dime last year than they played base defense. 12.3% race car dime and only 10.6% base defense. That tells you a lot about just how prevalent the package was. And it was mostly Brandon Williams who was playing that nose role. There's some Pierce, but it was mostly Williams who was playing that nose role. And I thought he was very effective. I thought, he, you know, as a pass rusher, he had uh, probably one of his best seasons. Uh, certainly one of his best since early on in his career. Uh, in terms of of uh, you know compressing the pocket and doing some of the things that are necessary to to do things, I think he might have had two consecutive games of two quarterback hits. Does that sound right? Yeah. In, in yeah. midseason. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, uh, you know, I, I'm I'm excited to see what he can do in a full season back at nose tackle, and I hope the Ravens don't suffer too much. The one one time I think he'll be. If he plays with Ellis on the field, I think we'll see Ellis at the one or zero and him going back to the three. But I don't think it's going to be a ton of snaps that he plays uh, off the uh, zero or one tech. Yeah, no, I, I'd, I'd be surprised if if he plays three technique or some other alignment at the rates that he's played it in the past. Yes. I know it was, it was it was difficult with Pierce because they both were kind of natural nose techniques. Uh, a nose, nose tackle, excuse me. And so, but you can't obviously play both guys there on the same play. So um, they kind of had to move them around. But when you look at what's around Brandon Williams now, whether it's Campbell, whether it's Wolf, whether it's Jahad Ward, whether it's Ferguson, they moved all of those guys around. I mean, Jahad Ward would line up in some three technique snaps uh, from time to time. They reduced uh, Ferguson down to like a four eye, which is like inside shade of the tackle. So they've, they've got four or five guys around Williams, who they can move around and sort of vary up their looks and create really almost any kind of situation that they want for any individual guy on that line. You know, whoever they want to get the one on one, they pretty much can create that uh, whenever they want. 
that's something to really like about the race car. The other thing I love about it is that is that you can drop either Sam linebacker. You effectively have two of them on the field, and you can create those multiple lanes of pressure that you would uh, you would like to to get a fast pressure. I, I'm you know. Some of me says it doesn't matter as much on a passing down what tech the player is playing, because you really a lot of times you're just trying you're playing to either create a free run or at least occupy a player, uh, possibly to compress the pocket in a way that's a, versus a one on one block. But it's not the same as having to hold your spot two or one on a rundown that that uh, you know is a is a little different. So you know when I look at the at any kind of snaps by position or snaps by tech in particular, I kind of want to know which of those were runs and which ones were passed. Because we yeah. did see, we saw him play a lot inside, but I'm thinking Wolf was probably playing a lot of third downs with Denver. And I I think he'll play less. I think it's a less natural, obvious thing to play Wolf on third down in this defense. And I'm still kind of struggling with exactly how they're going to line up. They're going to go back to three outside linebackers, one defensive lineman, maybe one inside linebacker like Fort and a dime, or are you going to, you're going to still use the race car or what exactly might they do? I mean, Campbell will be very effective over the nose, very effective on with the race car. So there's a lot of ways they can do it. And, and I think most of the times you're, you're the, the tech lineups that you're talking about in terms of Ferguson and Jihad Ward, it's important to note, those are only happening on extreme pass situations. There'd yeah. never be a running down. You'd move those guys inside. Yeah. And even though Ward was originally, you know, brought in as a guy who had been a combo tweener who could play defensive end or outside linebacker. He's really used exclusively as an outside linebacker with the Ravens who only played, you know, a passing down from a three point stance inside. Yeah. And that's, that's probably why it sticks in my head because as we talked about on some other shows in the past, I've been charting all their third down pass plays and he, they bump him in there a lot uh, yes. you know, in those situations. But I agree with you. I, I actually couldn't agree more uh, with the alignments on, on passing downs versus rundowns. Rundowns, like you said, when you've got to secure and hold a gap, um, that technique alignment uh, really becomes more important. Uh, on passing downs, and I was actually talking uh, about about this with someone else the other day, it, it often shifts. And I think that's basically what you were describing. You might initially line up in that three technique over the outside shade of the guard, but if there's any kind of defensive line movement, you may end up uh, stunning to his inside shoulder. You may actually end up going over two gaps and going to yep. the opposed, you know, the opposite shoulder of the center. So where you start kind of has less relevance uh, to the point you just made on, on pass rush downs uh, as opposed to where you end up. Well, it, and, it changes who's the reacting person, who's the yeah. reacting player on a passing downs. So obviously it's the offensive lineman on the, on a rundown. It's the defensive lineman. Yeah. Yeah, and that's you. To me, this is. is I actually uh, talked to to Jonas uh, Schaefer, who works from the Sun, about this, uh, as we were talking about um, some of the things that they've done with the defensive line, and whether that was going to maybe cause Wink to blitz less and be able to use more four man rushes. And I told him, I said, you know, I know I'm in the minority of this, and some of this is probably just my my being naive. But I said, I think that's just his personality. I think that's Wink's personality, and I would have no problem. If he blitzed at the same rate, if not more than he did last year, <laughs> because that's my personality as well. Just for the point that you just made, I don't like to be the reactor, right? I want to be the actor and I want to make the offense react. And the way to do that is to bring pressure. Now, that doesn't always mean you've got to bring numbers. Doesn't mean it always has to be five, six or seven. You can do simulated pressures with four guys where you're just bringing different guys, right? From different positions mm-hmm. other than just the four defensive linemen. But I always want to see some kind of pressure component because, again, 
Um, it's just something that has always been a part of the way that I think about defensive football is I want to make, uh, I want to change actors into reactors when I'm on defense. Offenses used to be in the actor. I want them to be the reactor. Yeah, there, you, you, have a, you have not been disappointed by Wink because he's been as deceptive as anybody except for Ryan in terms of what he's done in terms of stunts, in terms of blitzes from off the line of scrimmage, uh, in terms of dropping uh, dropping a coverage from the line of scrimmage. So I always say there's four-man rushes and there's four-man rushes, but what you see from Denver and Cincinnati and teams like that who really believe in the set-piece 4-0 pass rush where it's four, they show you four, and that's the four who are coming. Yeah, uh, you know the, the, those teams. Uh, San Francisco is in this category as well. They may be very effective if they've got high talent players, but mm-hmm. that's very expensive to maintain. When you do it the Martindale method, you can you can get away with cheap guys and and still get a lot of pressure on defense. So it's uh, and then you, you you of course are relying on what's really strong about the team, which is the secondary. So. Yeah, they're bringing they're bringing guys in from you know street free agents and creating pressure on these guys. So that's just so um, exciting. Yeah, it is. All right, so I, wonder, I did want to talk about one other problem. This is kind of one of the spillover effects of these signings now is that the, the defensive line is now very old. So Williams is 31, Wolf is 30, Campbell will be 34 by opening day, Ellis will be 30 in December, and that's four of the five or perhaps six guys that they'll carry on the line. I'm not including really Ricard in that. Uh, Mac is the only younger guy currently on the roster. It would, it would really help if he would beat – beat Ellis out of a roster spot somehow. I don't see, think it's a great opportunity, but, you know, Ellis or Mac, there's probably only one of them will make the team, is my guess. And they're going to have to draft some people who are younger because they have got to get younger with players who can actually step in over the next two years. I would think they're going to draft, you know, two, or sorry, three interior defensive linemen over the next two years. Yeah, when when I saw that and 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 you showed their ages, uh, it really. I mean, you know, I'm seeing these guys getting signed, so I, I was aware of it. But when you see it all in one line, you know, all their ages back to back to back, you're like, oh wow, this is this is a little bit of an older group. But um, it's interesting to me that that they've done it that way because when you look at the when you look at who they've signed and and you look at their background and where they're coming from, um, their Wolves played on Super Bowl team, right? The 2015 Broncos. Calais Campbell been to a division championship, um, you know, with the Jags uh, a couple of years back. So it seems like there was this this concerted effort to obviously get good players. That's where it always starts. You want you want guys who are good players, but who also have been, um, you know, on on winning teams at least for a season. I mean, I know we're talking about the Jags and, and now the Bron- and the Broncos now, but who've been on winning teams, who've had good seasons, who've been in big games. Uh, you get sort of that that veteran leadership and, you know, some of the soft skills that people talk about that I think are 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 really important. I know I make a big deal out of them because to me, I just I, I think culture and guys who've been there and done it in big games and critical situations are huge, particularly for a young team. And I don't want to say that this was an overreaction to the Titans game. Cause I don't think it was. I think they were just looking for good players and they were looking to get better in terms of pass rush uh, on the interior defensive line. But. Uh, on that call with Calais Campbell, he talked about that himself. He talked about the Titans game, and he said, "Hey, I think some of that, some of the stuff that happened in that game, wouldn't happen if I was here." So I think he knew from just uh, from his perspective that not only what he could do physically, just you know what he is as a player, but just sort of that veteran presence. Like, hey guys, look, let's just calm down, right? Okay, I know things are kind of going our way right now, but um, if you go back and watch that game, you can see some individual guys freelancing a little bit, and I think that's the pressure of the moment 
and the fear of it slipping away and I need to do more, I need to make a play, but now you're becoming undisciplined, right? So and trust not, your teammate. Exactly. And so that can happen with young players, though. It can happen with older players, but I think you see it more with younger players um, who who just haven't been there and done that before. So um, that's probably just me reading between the lines probably a little too much, but I think it's a factor in, in why they brought these guys in, even considering uh, the fact that they're up in age a little bit. But to your point, hey, nine, nine draft picks, right, going in going into this draft, uh, what, what an opportunity to, to be able to get younger at the defensive line. Yeah, I think they have an opportunity to just let the board fall to them. I, I you know, if they're, again, I think they need to figure out what they're not going to spend a lot of draft capital on this year. And I think that is so central and so important. They don't have to telegraph it to the rest of the football world, though, because the the uh, the opportunity is there to trade up, trade down with all the needs they have. They should not have predatory opposing GMs. Not that that would really bother DaCosta. It's just a matter of DaCosta should be an opportunity seeker, and he should be the the guy other teams are coming to to try and make a trade to move around, and he's always willing to do it at the right price. And this is a year where I, I love a lot of the players that I think will fall to the 40 to 60 in the draft. I'm really not all that thrilled with where the Ravens are at 28. I think they're going to give up a lot of value to make a pick there. And there's a relatively small number of players that I really love at 28. Uh, you know, we've talked about Xavier McKinney, Grant Delpit before, but uh, you know, if Kinlaw were somehow to drop and that's, you know, it's my oh, dream that, that, that would happen. Yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, I, I say that, but Sharif Floyd almost fell into the Ravens lap the year they ended up drafting um, Matt Elam. So, yeah, and you just, and you just never know, yeah. you know, with the draft. Yeah, right now, as you look at it on paper, it, it seems improbable. But every we say that we say these kinds of every things. year, but somebody every drops. Every year, there's somebody that drops, so it could, so, it could happen. Why not him? Well, we need a video conspiracy to to, to create some, you know, <laughs> the gas child. The gas yes, gas exactly. <laughs> for 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 Kinlaw to, to get drove. But anyway, uh, yeah, I am of course not wishing that on anybody. No. But uh, but it would be uh, would be great if Kinlaw somehow came to the Ravens. The other guy I really like if if he could drop and and there are questions about athleticism of this guy. But I think you know looking at him, he might be the next really great edge setter at rush linebacker. Is Epinesa of Iowa? Is yeah. is you know he's he's a guy who is certainly has that Terrell Suggs build. Probably will not be a great NFL pass rusher. Might be okay. But he could be a great edge setter if 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 he can handle the other responsibilities of that rush linebacker spot. Yeah, when I watch him play, that's that's exactly what I see. I, I see somebody who um, almost like Jalen Ferguson a little bit, some but I think he he in his first year would be a better run defender than Jalen Ferguson was in sure. his first year. Uh, just just a more powerful player, uh, different type of player. But I think having that ability to to stand up in a two-point stance, like you said, a rush linebacker, but then also be able to put his hand in the ground if they want him to play five third down. Yeah, yeah. Or, or even move inside. Because one thing that I saw about when he rushes inside, so like outside over a tackle, he's not going to blow by any tackles. That's just not his game. He's more of a power rusher. But inside, when he's over a guard, it almost reminded me, even though they're, they're, they're different body types, it almost reminded me of Zadarius. He's really quick inside in terms of being able to cross face on a guard and, you know, maybe start out on his outside shoulder, do like that quick spin or crossover move and beat him inside. It looked very similar to when you'd see them move Zedarius inside um, over over a guard. So um, that's obviously always a bonus uh, if you have a guy who can go in there and just wreak havoc 
uh, on third downs, you know, across from a guard. So, yeah, I would not be uh, upset uh, with with Epinesa at all. And another guy, I'll throw this in, not at 28, because I don't think he's the value at 28, mm-hmm. uh, but Curtis Weaver, Boise State. Okay. Big fan of Curtis Weaver. He gets a lot of body shaming on draft Twitter because he's, he's kind of got a little bit of a softer looking body. Um, but when you watch him, I see a lot of shades of Matt Judon in his game. Very similar looking players used in similar ways in terms of combination of playing the run, rushing the passer, and then dropping in the coverage. He did a lot of that. And he played a position in that Boise State defense uh, that I think they call the Bronco position. I might get that name wrong, but I, I you know why I don't like that right away, just to stop you for a second. Correa yeah. played the stud exactly. position. <laughs> there you go. That's it. Yeah. I, I I knew I was gonna get the name wrong, but whatever the name of that position was, Weaver played it, Correa played it, Demarcus Lawrence played it. Um, for for the Cowboys. So, you know, this is two out of three ain't bad, maybe. (laughs) And if you go back and look at Weaver, the first thing that people will say is level of competition because of, you know, who does, uh, yeah, they're they're obviously a D1 team, but, you know, Boise doesn't play a lot of SEC teams or Big Ten, Big Ten teams or anything like that. But he's got some ridiculous number of sacks uh, in his three, three years there. Um, Will he last at 55 or to 60? Something like that. Like he's, he's way, he's way. No, I'm sorry. That's uh, not sacks. Will he last to pick number 55 or six? Oh, or will he learn? It? Yeah, I think that he could because I think the concerns about the body are probably there. Uh, I'd have to go back and look at his combine numbers. I don't think he did anything uh, that that blew anybody away. I think he might have had some pretty good agility drills, though, of the sort of um, edge type players. He might even had one of the best three cone numbers. I'd have to go back and look at that. But um, so, so you know. Th- I think there's a possibility, but if you haven't looked at him, take a look at him. And I think that's the first thing that people see when they look at him. We're like, ah, this guy has kind of a soft build for a football player, particularly for an NFL player. But you know what? With people who say that, I say, hey, go back and look at Jalen Ferguson. He looked a little bit soft uh, in terms of just his build, not his play, but just just kind of his physical build. Um, but, you know, if there's one thing that guys can do in the NFL, it's get stronger. Uh, and, and particularly with the the strength staff that the Ravens have, obviously there's um, a lot of obstacles right now uh, in the current environment. But under normal circumstances, uh, I'd be less worried about that. But he's just a natural pass rusher. When you look at how he syncs up his hands with his feet, the timing of his moves, his balance, his body control, he's just a guy that's just a very natural and instinctive pass rusher. So um, I have to give uh, credit to Chris Aguilera, a guy who I know has been on your show a while yeah. back. He's the guy who first kind of brought him uh, to my radar and said, hey, you got to take a look at this guy from Boise. And I was like, yeah, the more I watched him, I was like, yeah, I like it. <laughs> okay, so I'm looking at the 20-yard uh, shuttle is in the 86th percentile, three-cone drill in the 90th percentile, which is which is truly outstanding. A little short. For an edge rusher in today's NFL at 6'2", but 265, that's a fantastic weight to play that edge position. Yeah. He, Especially he looked, on the right side. Yeah, he, he looks like their prototype guy. Aside from his height, like you said, I think they want their guys 6'3", 6'4", at least somewhere mm-hmm. in there. Obviously, they have some guys who've been more on the 6'5", um, but just just from you know body type and weight, I think he's really kind of the guy that they look for at that position, but... Um, I didn't realize that those those agility drills were that good. That could be an issue uh, in terms of getting a fifty-five. Right. So maybe maybe they have to maybe they have to trade up or maybe they have to trade back in the first round out of the first round to to get him that way. Or maybe he's the guy at twenty-eight. You know, 
who knows? The Ravens may love him. And, uh, you know, there's there's other guys. I'm looking at Curtis Weaver here and even just doing this for a second and trying to look at some of the agility drills and obviously going with his production at, at Boise. He might be a guy I would like better than Zach Bond. The only reason I really like Zach Bond, and he's he's like the ultimate consolation prize at 28. I don't want it. He's not my first choice. He's not my second, my third, my fourth, my fifth, my sixth. But if they had to go Zach Bond, at least I think he's he could be a situational Sam linebacker. I don't think he'll ever stand up and be a, a true inside linebacker the way some people are projecting it. But I think he, because he has some coverage skills, I think he might be a fairly natural Sam linebacker. And that's a place where the Ravens need and they might lose both of them after this next year. So that that has me, you know, giving an extra point of value for that specific need. The Ravens have to bond. He's smallish, though, for an edge setter. He is. He is. I think he's what in the two thirty-six. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that that's tough uh, out there on the edge in the NFL. But he is a good athlete. Uh, he's got some of those athletic traits that you see in guys that they they've brought in to play that position in the past, like Tyus Bowser, like Correa, even though it didn't work out for him. But um, you know, similar sort of athletic profile. Um, so, you know, maybe there's something there. Um, and, and I like bond. It's just, again, my, I kind of share a similar concern. I just, I don't know if he, if he's stout enough to hold up on the edge outside. And I, and, and like you said, I'm, I'm not as big a fan as, as that projection to, uh, an inside off the ball linebacker. I think that's a really difficult transition to make at the it NFL. Didn't level. work for Correa and did you know, not. we're did trying not. to do it again. It's <laughs> almost like there's there's extra chips pushed in the pot too. I mean, you're really going all in on an organizational decision with your fans. Yeah. To, and I don't know that they really care. Martindale will do anything pretty much yeah. to, to, to make it work. And maybe that maybe that's really what would play into his hands where Pease had more of a of a set idea of how defense should be played and did less variation package wise than Martindale did. That might really work to Bond's advantage, but in it, it also seems like if you move that guy to inside linebacker, it's you've now just raised the bet on that working. You you, you need to win. Yeah, and I, I I like the yeah I don't I don't like those odds. Um, <laughs> I like the fit more as as a Sam, and uh, he could be kind of something um, that that maybe they haven't quite had as as athletic as Tyus is, and he's really athletic. Um, Vaughn is, is kind of that nickel Sam type of guy too, sort of that modern day nickel slash Sam linebacker, DB hybrid body type, uh, safety body type, I should say. 230 is a big safety, obviously, but uh, he moves so well in space. He actually was a high school quarterback, believe it or not, mm-hmm. out in Wisconsin. It was high school. His senior year was Wisconsin um, player of the year. He was a dual threat quarterback. And you go back and you look at his high school numbers, his senior year. We're talking Lamar Jackson type numbers. He put wow. up some freaky numbers as a dual threat quarterback in high school. So, uh, but then they recruited him to Wisconsin as a linebacker. So he he's got that athletic profile, that athletic background. Um, so I think that could really serve you well, particularly in coverage. He can rush though too. I mean, I don't think he's a guy that you want to line up over a tackle and say, "Hey, go go," you know, try to beat a tackle one on one thirty snaps a game because I don't I don't think that's the strength of his game. But you know, if you have him do it, you know, kind of periodically and, and moving around in some different packages to try to maximize that athleticism you could get something there but as somebody told me uh recently you know if you're taking a guy at 28 you're taking a guy in the first round should you should you have to scheme a lot for that guy to be successful 
It's, Good it's point. An interesting, yeah, it's an interesting question. <laughs> yeah. I, I think the, my big problem is value, because if you take the 45th best player in the draft, and I don't know if Bond is that low, but but I, I'm much more comfortable dropping down about 15 spots and taking him at number 40 or 43, say, than taking him at 28. But if he's the 45th best player in the draft, and let's just say that, and you take him at number 28, what that means is you've essentially given up the number 76 pick in the draft in terms of value. It is a huge concession. And so the Ravens have to you know, get players who are closer to the intersection of need and value all the way through this draft. Because as much as we like the number of picks they have, they don't have a lot of total value in those picks. You know, they draft 28th, and that's, you know, where a lot of your value is in that first round. And, and you know, they need to hit their first round pick. It's, you know, 38% or something, 36% of their total value they have on, in, in the draft. So, um, you know, you, you, can, you can also see if they go all Ricky Williams on us and decided, and they won't, of course, they want to trade every pick they have and move up. They can only move up to about number six with, by, by trading every single pick that they've done now. And that's even oh. with the – sorry, go ahead. Oh no, I'm sorry. I was I was just gonna ask you, um, how did you how would you feel about trading back out of that pick at 28? I would love it. Yeah. Okay. (laughs) I think between 40 and 60, there are so many players that I absolutely love, and you know, there's probably 50 guys in this draft who people are saying are obvious first round picks, which is probably not too much more than every year, but it does does even seem like. There's a lot of people towards the end of the first round, in particular, in, in between about 14 and maybe 45 or 50 who could be in the first round or might not be. Mm-hmm. You know, you, there's no doubt about guys like Kinlaw. He's going in the first round. And, and uh, you know, Derek Brown of Auburn, of course, the quarterbacks, you know, and, and uh, Isaiah Simmons, I mean, you know, he's not in the question for the Ravens. But, but then there's a whole bunch of other guys. All those wide receivers, I mean, I could easily see a hold on the wide receivers until round two. There are teams which have cornerback needs, but there's other teams who have other needs as well, and they may not all go in the first round. So this is a great let the draft to fall to you year. Uh, write this. And by the way, I want to have you back for a draft show. So let's not do it all tonight. Okay. You know, I, 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 uh, I, I would love maybe even more than one, Michael, because because you're one of the people I just love talking about this stuff with. And uh, and we can hopefully do a little bit more of this. But uh, Derek Wolf acquisition, excited about it and and uh, and hope this works out for the Ravens. Can we ask you where where to find your work, where to follow you on Twitter, all that stuff? Yeah, sure. You can follow me on Twitter. I'm uh, at Abukari. That's A-B-U-K-A-R-I. Um, that's pretty much where you can find uh, find me right now and, you know, try to post a lot of video clips, try to engage in a lot of discussions, um, not just about the draft, but about the Ravens. Um, and don't really have anything coming up on Russell Street Report, which is a place where I've written before, um, kind of p- pulled back from the writing stuff, even going back to this past season and just really focused on charting. I mean, I guess I contributed to a series that they had over there, but um, as you know, because this is kind of how we met, uh, how our relationship kind of started was in me charting plays, actually charting Bernard Perryman of all people. Uh, Bernard Perryman, excuse me. And uh, so I'm... I'm, (laughs) Josh is shaking his head. I know, I know. If only they could see it. If only they could see it. Uh, But, you know, so this year I've been charting defense. So I I just love to chart plays. And so I do it uh, but I don't ever do it with any intention like it's going to turn into an article or anything. It's really just self-education to help me learn about players and learn the defense and kind of learn what they're doing. So uh, maybe it'll turn into an article. Maybe it won't. I doubt it. But um, I really like to to do that. And that's kind of what I'm spending most of my time doing now, just sort of self-education and, and trying to learn as much as I can. All right. 
All right. Well, Michael, always a pleasure. Just lo- just love talking to you. We'll get you back for some for some draft shows. Maybe we talk about that a little bit at, when we're off air here. Sounds good. All right, Ken, and you were on the lounge today. Yes, on the lounge talking about various things with uh, with uh, Garrett and Mink, a uh, couple of characters there, but, uh, but very <laughs> cool guys. I enjoy seeing them at practice, and, and it was a really fun to do a show with them. On uh, We had a little bit of Wolf, a little bit of Campbell, a little bit of the upcoming draft. Uh, and it always seems like it's too short, especially compared to our shows. Look at this. We're, we got over an hour of, of uh, <laughs> all this very animated, very fun talk with you, Michael. All right. Well, lots of Ravens uh, to take in while you're uh, dealing with the lockdown and quarantine and whatever you're calling it at this moment, wherever you live. Uh, new video up on filmstudybaltimore.com as of yesterday. Yeah, I really hope people will take a look at that. So it's it's breaking down every single defensive package the Ravens played. I did the same kind of video last year. This one has a lot more explanation. We had a guest on, uh, a friend of mine from Twitter, uh, Daniel Rees, uh, and uh, he did a, a, a real good job of pointing out things about each of these packages. But uh, but it, it goes through, and it'll it'll tell you how they line up and, and help you identify the package from your seat is the goal. Also, if you're a film analyst or just getting started in it, hopefully give you some tricks about how you kind of – look and quickly make use of the information that's there and, and take down the which players are on the field and which positions. All right. And the and hey, you can give a tip right now, which is go get Game Pass because it's free. Yes. Free Game Pass. Go out and, and uh, uh, it's being offered. I don't know until when, but if you're also a PSL holder, don't don't screw it up this year. Get it or, or at least give it to someone who's a friend of yours who wants to do some film analysis because it's a uh, it's a wonderful benefit the Ravens give you as a season ticket holder. All right, great. Well, we will talk again soon. Stay safe. Birdland Sports. For fans, by fans. Find more great shows like this at birdlandsports.com. When your entire life is online, you need more than just speed from your internet. Xfinity gives you reliable in-home Wi-Fi coverage, plus protection from Wi-Fi network threats. Go online, call 1-800-XFINITY, or visit a store today to learn more. Restrictions apply. Introducing the Lowe's List for Innovation. While our aisles are filled with innovative products, we've selected our favorites just for you. Like the exclusive Whirlpool washer with industry-first two-in-one removable agitator. We love this washer because you can customize any load. And with other smart features to streamline your laundry routine, this product is a must-have for families. Shop the full Lowe's list of top picks at Lowe's.com. Lowe's, home to any budget, home to any possibility. U.S. only. American Giant makes great clothing, sweatshirts, jeans, and more right here in the U.S. Visit American-Giant.com and get 20% off your first order with code STAPLE20. That's 20% off your first order at American-Giant.com, code STAPLE20. 
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for two forty nine dollars a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.